Hello and welcome to Vision of Zion. Today we're going to cover Isaiah chapter 16, and I have my special guest, Sean White, with me. How are you doing, Sean? Great. Thank you, Craig. Not many minutes ago, we finished with Isaiah 15, and as promised, we're going to also put up Isaiah 16, which we've never done before. Isaiah 15 was a redo because uh, Sean felt that his initial attempt was not broad enough, and as he read more of Isaiah, he realized we needed to cover it in a broader context. So now we're going to cover Isaiah chapter 16. Sean, tell us a little bit about this chapter. It's a con- in the continuation of 15 and what's happening to the proud Moabite people who have forgotten their covenants. Uh, we have the Moabite people coming from Abraham's brother, Taran, and uh, as they... They were very wor- got to a point they're very worldly and worshiping pagan gods. And then, as the tribe of Reuben and Gad began to intermarry into them, they also forgot their covenants. And as we might look back, we'll see that Reuben lost all the blessings of his tribe. His birthright was given away because of how far they got lost. But um, the, the story for us is uh, to look around us and see those that have forgotten their covenants completely and what God is doing to turn them around and give them an opportunity. This chapter we're going to see, um, well, it, it, the scene first starts out after the king of the invasion of the king of Syria's alliance. We already have the people that have first heard the servant gathered together, and now the invasion has happened. We'll start to see that many people are humbled and seeking to live with those that gathered earlier, as a servant or Yahweh of armies has suggested. So we're going to see these people now seeking righteousness, which is wonderful. Well, sometimes it takes a humbling experience to get us back on track, doesn't it? It does. Uh, I think that's part of the covenant making, too. Uh, just We'll talk more about covenants, but I'll say this at the outset, that it seems to me like covenant making means you give the Lord permission to chastise you when you fall away from your covenants. There's great blessings when you follow the covenants you make with God, the covenants that he asks you to make. And if you don't follow them, then uh, He's you've given him permission to you know, wrap you upside the head and say, hey, you know, you need to remember these covenants. And the blessings that you're getting are a result of these covenants. So I'm grateful for those opportunities to turn around. Uh, real quickly, in our family history, we have a rifle that was used uh, by a great grandfather as he was a tracker for Marshall Ireland uh, chasing down Butch Cassidy, and it's been in the family for all this time. Well, this rifle has had a big crack in the stock and been taped over. It's worth a lot of money because of how old it is in the used chasing Butch Cassidy and so forth, but we could never get the story out for a long time of why the stock was cracked. And finally, my grandfather one day, after many years of bugging him, I says, what happened to that stock to crack it? He says, well, one day there was a horse that wished would not cross this uh, ravine, just would not cross. And I was so angry. I got out and I whacked the horse over the head with his rifle. And then he crossed it just fine. 
And I often say, you know, this is exactly what Heavenly Father has to do to me at times to get me going straight. He whacks me over the head and I get out from under it and I start going straight again. And I'm grateful that he took the time to put me straight and get me on the right track. Maybe that's where the phrase, the school of hard knocks comes from. Yes, maybe. All right, let's go to verse one. Again, we're reading from the Dead Sea Scrolls. Please feel free to follow along with your Bible. In verse one of 16, send the lambs for the ruler of the land from Selah to the wilderness, to the mountain of the daughter of Zion. For it will be that as wandering birds, as a scattered nest, so will the daughters of Moab be at the fords of the Ammon or Ammon. The word Shelah is most commonly thought of as a mark within a text that means to stop and listen. We could rephrase this verse to say, send those people who are now like lambs, humble and meek, to find the servant and those that stopped and listened to gather as the servant invited them to do before the invasion of the king of Assyria. These people that he is referring to as lambs were wandering and scattered as birds. The daughters of Zion is referring to those who listened and have gathered to the places of refuge or inner valleys as a servant Yahweh of armies has invited them to do so earlier. Many of these people now have gone out looking for those humbled and now seeking refuge, the daughters of Moab. That's a powerful um, description of the future. And I can relate with the scattered nest the wandering birds. Uh, I've seen this happen up in the mountains where a bird will build near a cabin this little nest when no one's up there. And then the people come to the cabin and find out, the bird finds out, oh, the cabin is kind of close, or the bird's nest is kind of close to the cabin or the cabin door or whatever. And they pick a really bad spot to you know ha- put their eggs. And they either have to you know, go rebuild somewhere else, or in some cases, they'll abandon their their babies, right, for their own survival. Uh, or if the owners don't want the nest, you know, right there and like right above the door or something, they might have to, uh, you know, take down that nest. I've seen it also with, uh, we have hornets that form these uh, beautiful round nests hanging from rafters and homes. They love to pick those dry places where you don't want them to be. And mm-hmm. If you knock them down or take them out, they're just completely lost. And so I can't imagine anything worse than, uh, you know, not being part of a group, part of uh, understanding of where to go, what, what to do, and then being basically um, exposed to, um, you know, the enemy. So important, important stuff. Exactly. Let's go to verse, that was verses one and two. Let's go to verse three. Give counsel, execute justice. Make your shade like the night in the middle of the noonday. Hide the outcasts. Don't betray the fugitive. Now God is speaking to those in camp safely in the gathering areas. Give counsel to those seeking refuge. Execute justice. Oftentimes, we think in reverse as to the meaning of justice originally meant. It was first and foremost to heal the inflicted and bring them to the level 
up to the level of the repentant person. Today we have construed justice to mean punishment first, which is wrong. Make your shade like the night in the middle of the noonday. Hide the outcast. Don't betray the fugitive. Let my outcast dwell with you. Here God is saying to hide those seeking refuge from the king of Assyria. Make them feel safe as if they were hidden in the middle of the darkness of the night, and yet it is noonday. Openly accept those seeking to hear my his voice, meaning God's voice, and have cast out their worldly desires of pride. Fully accept them as one of your own. Hmm. You remember that uh, video you had me watch? I think you actually own a copy uh, on Prime Video. Uh, What's it called? Something about the heart? Oh, power of the heart. Power of the heart. And the story of the uh, the people. Tutsi. Yeah. Was it the Tutsi tribe? The Tutsi tribe was the one that was being uh, massacred by a competing tribe in that country. And a priest or some yes. kind of church leader took them in. And hid them in a bathroom. How many women? 16 or 14 women in a bathroom for a period of months? Yeah, they only expected to be in there a few days. There was no way to lay down. No, They had standing room only for months and months. How close they came to being found out. And how hard it was for that priest to sneak food to them. But he kept them safe in there. And God kept them safe. That's the only explanation they were safe. Isn't that a, a great uh, analogy for what we're reading here? Yes. Make your shade like the night in the middle of the noonday. I, he, he took so many risks and he wound up putting a piece of furniture in front of the door and they never they would come in and search and they would never search that room. Um, such an important thing. Chance to watch that. Her name was Immaculate, if I remember right. And her story of forgiveness and opening her heart is... A powerful lesson to all of us. One of the most powerful stories I've ever heard is how she overcame her hatred because they'd killed family members. Um, uh, the tide changed, right? So they were able to go out and then confront their accusers and confront those who had committed murders and slaughter. And uh, boy, uh, and she's a firsthand account. She was in that room. So it's really meaningful. Um, I think about that when I hear these ver this verse, and I also think about execute justice. It sounds like people who fled to these areas were leaving places where there was no justice or there was uneven or unequal justice, right? We see and this. In, in the scenes of my walk with the Savior, um, there's many occasions that he's shown me where I would go out in the darkness of night to pull families uh, away from this invading factor and how I needed to prepare myself to be trusted in an instance that I could walk into these areas, tell them that I, I was going to lead them to safety and have them believe me instantaneously and that I needed to have the faith that I could walk through among invading troops and things and know that God was with me to take them safely to other areas. That was very, it's very, very powerful scenes for me. Let's go to verse four. Let my outcasts dwell with you. As for Moab, be a hiding place for him from the face of the destroyer. 
where the extortionist is brought to nothing, destruction ceases, the oppressors are consumed out of the land. In this verse, we see the oppressors have been destroyed. I see this correlating to the scenes of the army of God taking back the promised land from the king of Assyria's alliance. The extortionist is referring to the political leaders and financial leaders that have worked to deprive the needy, the widows, and the fatherless. Moab refers to the land of the proud and righteous people who have forgotten or ignored worshiping God. The people in these areas that did not gather as the servant had suggested are now humbled and seeking to hear God's voice. These people are now protected from the destroying angel who is sent to kill the wicked. Well, we keep seeing these patterns develop, uh, places of safety. Some go willingly and early, and some linger, and the longer you linger, uh, the harder it gets to get out of there and escape. Um, so enough said about that. Verse 5, a throne will be established in loving kindness. One will sit on it in truth in the tent of David, judging, seeking justice, and swift to do righteousness. When referring to David, it makes a, takes us back to the lineage or the direct line of the priesthood power back to God. At the time when wickedness is destroyed from the promised land, I saw an anointed servant setting up a temporary structure, a tent, if you will, so basically, in this verse, we see the start of an earthly structure that will prevail through into the millennium, the cornerstone or location in which the kingdom of God will start from. So this kind of sounds like an answer to the command in verse 3, you know, give counsel, execute justice, make your shade. And then we get that in verse 5, thankfully. Yeah. And the throne is a symbol of, like you said, a priesthood power of someone being um, given... Uh, the right to you know do what the Lord would do if he were here. Exactly. Verse 6, we have heard of the pride of Moab, that he is very proud, even of his arrogance, his pride, and his wrath, indeed, of his boastings are nothing. And therefore Moab will not well for Moab. Everyone will wait. You will mourn for the raisin cakes of Kir Pariseth, utterly stricken. Raisin cakes are often referred to as war cakes. Raisin cakes date back at least to the time of the reign of David in the era of 1010 to 970 BC. During the American Civil War, boiled raisin cake was made. It was barely a cake-like recipe. The ingredients were changed from once flavorful ingredients of raisins, sugar, and spice because the ingredients cost too much. The reasons for the barely cake-like recipes were threefold. They were in short supply, and small amounts available were needed to feed the soldiers and others engaged in the war effort. Karhesheth is a citadel or stronghold of Kerr within Moab. It was a fortress of Tegeltha Pleasure, who carried the Assyrians captive after he had taken the city of Damascus. This is evidenced in 2 Kings 16, verse 9, and Amos 1, 5, and Amos 9, 7. In this verse, we see the likeness of our people today. We have a group of prideful people who ancestrally were once very close to God and honored their covenants that were once prideful. 
and had pulled away from worshiping God and then now humbled. And therefore, Moab will not wail for Moab. Everyone will wail. It will not just be the prideful people wailing, but the whole world. We will all lament and cry for the experiences the prideful people had to go through throughout the world to become humble enough to turn their hearts to God and put him first in their lives. Wow. I think this is hugely significant that, you know, we aren't like, oh, yes, we're great to see the 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 ones that weren't quite righteous punished. We're glad to see them go through this. We wail with them. We are mourning because of the, we know the struggles they're going to have to come through to come back to God. And then we can be waiting there with these open arms and love to have them heal and be a part of us as we go to build New Jerusalem and uh, set up this society of Zion here on earth. So, Sean, I have three comments about this. One is, it sounds like the, the raisin cakes aren't that great of a food, but will be longing for raisin cakes. <laughs> Given the situation we have to go through, right? Oh, man, if I could just have a raisin cake, that just shows how bad it's going to get, right? Correct. Okay. Now, two more observations. One of them is, uh, Alma the Younger, who we know, like Paul, um, you know, three days suffering uh, torment before calling upon the Savior for deliverance. And uh, later, um, the very thought that somebody would go through, um, you know, eternal fire or punishment or anything or judgment. It said it caused his, I think it, it caused him to feel inexpressible horror. And I've heard and rather other people said who they've seen hell say, you wouldn't wish it, you know, seeing people go, I'm not saying, you know, hell like a permanent hell. I mean, people who go through suffering for their sins. Because Jesus says in DNC 18, if we don't repent, we must suffer even as he did. And, uh, People who have, you know, you think, like you said, we'd watch with glee at people who finally got theirs, right? Like Hitler. Hitler, you know, boy, what does he deserve? Um, but the people who have actually seen what people go through said they wouldn't w wish it on their worst enemy, what what people have to go through. And, and that's that inexpressible horror that Alma uh, is referring to. And secondly, uh, what you're describing, how people would wail for Moab, or uh, not just uh, Moabites, but everybody. And it made me think of in the Book of Mormon when they discovered those 24 plates of the Jaredites, and the people right. were very anxious to see what, what ha why are these plates here and what happened to these people. And Mosiah, King Mosiah, who was a seer also, was given the interpretation. And when they read it to the people, they were really distraught by you know what had happened because as we were as we remember when we read the book of Mor book of ether thankfully it's in the book of mormon um they fought down to the last two people right shiz and coriantumar as i recall right entire civilization destroyed uh two i guess you know civilization it was one group and they split and became enemies but um so this is telling us we're going to go through similar things um, so I just want to bring up those examples. They came to mind while you were reading that verse. 
I know that in my own personal experiences, Carol and I uh, faced divorce and we separated for three months that now as I see other couples facing um, separating or going through a divorce or something, I get really emotional inside and I cry and I pray because I know what they're about to go through and trying to come back together and the steps that are needed to be taken. And um, I just don't want to see anybody go through that. I just want them to heal and come back. <laughs> and the and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that, if I understand it correctly, we don't have to go through that. Um, Jesus Christ came down. Uh, the Lord God omnipotent, as King Benjamin described him, and that he may learn how to succor his people. He he went through it so that he could bear the burden. And that's why we're continually reminded, commanded, gee, what a wonderful commandment, repent, so you don't suffer as I suffered and and, and become changed from a um, you know carnal, devilish, sensual to a spiritual being. Right. Um, I hope we get the message. I hope I get the message every day of my life. Um, it's a it's a gift. Okay, uh, verse eight. For the fields of Heshbon languish with the vine of Sibna. Sibma, the lords of the nations have broken down its choice branches, which reach even to Jazer, which wandered into the wilderness. Its shoots were spread abroad. They passed over the sea. Heshbon was the city where the Israelites passed by to enter the promised land. It was assigned to the tribe of Reuben and later given to the tribe of Gad. In the Songs of Solomon, he compares his love's eyes to the exquisite pools of Heshbon. The vine of Sheba, Shibma, the word Shibma means coolness, sweet-smelling, fragrant, pleasant, sweet, spicy balsam or balsam plant. The balsam shrub or tree was prized for its healing purposes as well for its fragrance. Here we can see the people headed to the promised land, languishing or needing the vine of Shibma, meaning needing healing to enter into the promised land. You know, to me, this is so special to see, you know, it's, you know, when you start putting all the things together, how it comes together into this gateway into the promised land and healing to enter in is where it's all at. Hmm. One little comment on that. I took a class from Truman Madsen, Jewish philosophy, 371R. And we talked about, he talked about when he was in Jerusalem, uh, the family he visited, I think for Passover, but they had a, he was in their home for sure on the Sabbath and they had a box on their mantle in their house. And in the box were these sweet smelling odors. And at the end of the Sabbath or sometime during the Sabbath, they would open up the box and let the children smell this beautiful fragrance to remind them of the sweetness of the Sabbath. So that made me think of this, uh, you know, we all love beautiful, wonderful smells. That's a really nice imagery. Okay, let's go to verse 9. Therefore, I will weep with the weeping of Jazer for the vine of Sibna, Sibma. I will water you with my tears, Heshbon and Eliela. For on your summer fruits and on your harvest, the battle shout has fallen. Gladness is taken away, the joy out of the fruitful field. 
And in the vineyards, there will be no singing, neither joyful noise. Nobody will tread out of, nobody will tread out wine in the presses. I have made the shouting stop. Gazar was a land east of the Jordan River. It was extremely fertile grazing land for cattle and had many vineyards. It was the place in which the Israelites stopped after their long exodus from Egypt. God is weeping for the, his remnant at the end of a long journey. The battles have stopped. The harvest of the righteous ends. There are no more wicked people to separate out. The symbolism is tied to Revelations 14, verses 18 through 20. And an angel came out from the altar, which had the power over fire, and cried with a loud voice to him that had a sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle, sickle into the ground and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and the blood came out of the winepress, even to the horse bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. This number is interesting. It is not referred to in any other scripture. It is about two hundred miles. 1,600 is also equal to 40 squared, or 40 by 40. 40 is a significant number biblically. In the Old and New Testament, 40 days and 40 nights is re referenced 24 times in those two, in the Old Testament and New Testament. It is tied to a period of trial and testing, which leads to purification. The 40 days and 40 nights of rainfall that covered the earth during the great flood, as mentioned in Genesis chapter 7 and 8, the 40 days and 40 nights Moses spent on Sinai on two separate occasions in Exodus 24:18, Exodus 34:28, and Deuteronomy 9, 9-25. The 40 days and 40 nights that Jesus fasted in the wilderness and was tempted by the devil before beginning his public ministry, as referenced in Matthew 4, 1-11, Mark 1, 13-14, Luke 4, 1-13. This scripture is also significant to me in that I see an end to the punishing or killing the wicked that fought against God's remnant. Hmm. Well, I don't think I have anything to add to that. Thank you, Sean. Let's go to verse 11 and 12. Therefore, my heart sounds like a harp for Moab and my inward parts for Kir Herez. It will happen that when Moab presents himself, when he wearies himself on the high place and comes to his sanctuaries to pray, that he will not prevail. Herez is a biblical name that means the sun and describes the sun as individualistic, determined, pioneering, bold, athletic, independent, active, self-confident, action-oriented, a natural leader, independent, strong-willed, through in themselves, and for those that still refuse to turn their hearts back to him, when the wine press no longer is needed to trodden down, or in other words, the separation of the wheat and the tares stop, 
It will happen when the prideful people tire themselves of fighting against God. They go to the sanctuaries, a place dedicated to God, to pray. The once prideful people have returned, pleading for God to accept them as his sons and daughters, forsaking all their worldly ways. Hmm. Well, boy, don't we see that as a pattern in the Book of Mormon? Yeah. Um, you know, the pride cycle was broken by judgments like this, and then people get back to God, and then things right themselves again. Let's go to verses 13 and 14, the last two verses in the book of Isaiah 16. This is the word of Yahweh spoke. I'm sorry, let me try that again. Verses 13 and 14. This is the word that Yahweh spoke concerning Moab in time past. But now Yahweh has spoken, saying, Within three years, as a worker bound by contract would count them, the glory of Moab shall be brought into contempt with all his great multitude, and the remnant will be very small and feeble. God will give the prideful people of the world a three-year warning about their upcoming trial, which separates the wicked from the righteous. The number of righteous left standing with God will be a small remnant. The small remnant echoes what I what Nephi saw. He saw the church of God and they were small. Um, yeah. Boy, we want to be part of that remnant, don't we? <laughs> That's the goal, is to be easily led by the Lord, to gather when appropriate, to hearken unto the voice of the Lord, to reach out to those who need rescuing and safe harbor and uh, you know try and remove as many people from the suffering and the judgments that we can and uh, build up you know god's people so these as, are... uh, you know i have studied in the, my mind the city of enoch and read fictional books and scriptural accounts and pondered on what it might take to be that people that were ready to go and meet God to all be translated and what it might have been like within that city to help others to all be of the same mind and the same heart in trying to love God. And I just, I really want to be a part of those people. I want to feel of that love like I've seen in heaven when I walk those streets. <clears throat> well, I believe that we can get there. I know the prophecies are there. Um, and I'm grateful for you bringing to life these chapters in Isaiah. And uh, I'm grateful for Isaiah who followed the Lord's admonition and wrote them down so we could try and make sense of them in our modern time. Anything else to add, Sean, for this one? No. Thank you so much, Craig. Thank you. Uh, please stay tuned. We're going to come out with these other podcasts pretty soon. Sean has prepared notes through what chapter, Sean? Chapter 20 now? Yeah, well, through 19. So I've got. So as, we can, so as we can find the time here, uh, probably this week, we will go ahead and upload uh, these other chapters and then <clears throat> let Sean catch his breath and uh, get the other chapters done as well. Thank you so much. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This has been Vision of Zion.